0: to do your thing an unapologetic celebration of every version of motherhood I'm Tamsin Williamson, a life and mindset coach for mums, also known as the Parenthood Coach. And through this podcast, I'll be sharing some beautifully open, honest conversations with inspiring, passionate women who also happen to be mothers about how they loudly and proudly do their thing in life and motherhood in their own unique and authentic ways. Plus, I'll give you an insight into how I do my thing and what that means for me, my career, and family. I hope these conversations inspire you to feel the freedom to do your thing and embrace your version of motherhood in a way that feels aligned, empowering, and honours your whole self. This is your invitation to do your thing. So, let's get on with the show. Hi everybody and welcome to another episode of Do Your Thing and this episode is one of my absolute favourites from my Instagram Live archives. In this episode I speak to the wonderful Sarah Newlands all about her sobriety journey and how her relationship with or should I say without alcohol, has massively shaped the way she does her thing in life and motherhood and everything in between. As well as being a sobriety champion, Sarah is also, and I'm going to take a deep breath here as the list is both long and very impressive, Sarah is a mum of three. Plus she is also a musician, a piano teacher, a primary school teacher, an EFT practitioner and a meditation teacher. And we actually did our mindfulness training together, which is how we met. Sarah made the big bold and brave decision to go sober over five and a half years ago now and she went on to use her insights and experience to support others on their sobriety journey. At the time of recording this episode, Sarah was also practising as a sobriety coach. She has since moved on to explore another professional avenue. However, she still very much supports and is connected to the alcohol-free community, especially through the Dry app, which she references in this episode and which is detailed in the show notes. Sarah's passion for this subject rings through in this brilliant interview, even a year later, and she shares her journey with so much openness, honesty and vulnerability, which I really, really respected and appreciate. And I'm sure you guys will, too, when you listen to her. Sarah explains how she reached the turning point to go sober and why this lifestyle choice matters so very much to her. She explains the profound impact that sobriety has had on her mental health, life choices, and how it's also enhanced her experience of motherhood and relationship with her kids. She shares both the joys and the challenges associated with being alcohol free. And she imparts some invaluable tips, support and wisdom for anybody listening that is sober curious or ready to consider a change in their relationship with drinking. This is such an important conversation, which feels especially relevant at the time of releasing this episode. It's January 2024, a time when so many of us may be recovering from a boozy festive period. We might be experimenting with dry January or simply ready to make a positive change in our lives to support our health and well-being. So I really hope that you find this conversation a supportive and enlightening step, full of valuable reflections. As with all of these Instagram live episodes, I need to caveat them that there may be the odd sound wobble along the way that you might notice. The episode was not recorded originally to be a podcast, but I think that the amazing content makes up for the imperfections. Right, that is enough for me. Let's get on with the show. Enjoy.
1: What a lovely introduction.
0: Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, so nice to be having this conversation.
1: Well, thank you for inviting me to have this conversation. It's my favourite topic, one of my favourite topics. So well, I mean, it,
0: looking at the list of things that you do in itself, you know, <laughs> you talk about mums who wear lots of hats and spin lots of plates and all the rest of it. And, uh, yeah, you, you you have quite a lot, quite an array of amazing stuff going on in your life. <laughs> <time.
1: laughs> well, um, yeah, I think because... We have to sort of well I think a lot of mums especially feel like they have to kind of rearrange their lives quite a lot when they have children, and um the pattern of my working life wasn't really doing much for me or for my family when I um was in the thick of it, so yeah, I decided a few years ago to make quite a few changes, and that adds a lot of strings to your bow to use. A musical pun there, sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and, and and I suppose what this does is it leads very beautifully into uh, it's a great example of you doing your thing, of you <laughs> saying, Do you know something? Uh, what I have been doing isn't working. It doesn't feel right. I need to change things up for me, for my life, for my family, and I need to do things differently. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd love, I'd love for you to tell us all, like, what does Doing your thing what does it look like right
1: now for you so in terms of um I can launch into the sobri- sobriety bit if you'd you like about whatever is most prevalent okay. okay well I think um well when you were speaking just then uh the overriding sort of memory that came to me was the very strong feeling I had when my eldest started school. Now, he's year nine now, so this is a long time ago. Um, And that overriding feeling was I need to be at the school gates. Um, The job that I was doing meant that I couldn't be at the school gates. And I'm very, very aware that the changes I made um, came about because I, I was very fortunate to be able to make changes. So I don't want to sound flippant about them, but... I um, very much needed to make changes so I could be at the school gate. And I think that um, feeds quite nicely into the sobriety piece, actually, because it's about my need to be present and not in my head too much in my work at the times of day when I needed to be present for my kids. And so it's just always quite nice to reflect and think, we oh, all just feed into my values are all feeding into one another and all of the things do lead down the same path for me so mm-hmm. yeah that's what struck me when you first said that mm-hmm. um but when my eldest went to school I wasn't alcohol free I drank an awful lot um I was firmly in that gray area drinking category um, and I'm aware that not Everybody's aware of that term, the grey area drinking. I was just going to say, explain to us what <laughs> yeah. that means. Yeah, more than happy to. And um, so, when uh, we think about alcohol usage everyone's on a, a sort of continuum there are people who don't drink at all like me and there are people who are physically dependent on alcohol and might need to go through sort of detox and anywhere kind of in the middle is a bit of a grey space it's not something that used to be talked about very much and um, it is more now which I find really exciting and it's a growing field which is great and um, but that grey space in the middle I found really enabling space actually and I'm aware that not everybody feels like that but I certainly felt like if I wasn't in need of medical detox then I didn't have a problem and I never got to the stage where I needed medical detox I never got to the stage where I was physically dependent I never had a real rock bottom moment with my drinking and thankfully never ended up in hospital or anything really dark and horrible happening um, so I was firmly in that grey space, but though I knew there were times when my drinking was not great for my mental health, wouldn't be good for my physical health in the long term, and that I was becoming reliant on it for different reasons. And um, so, yeah, I could... I. Now I look back and I watch my drinking journey, and I think, oh, it really evolved over time. And I can look back at it and with it with a different view now. But when I was in the thick of it, I couldn't really see the wood for the trees, and I was enabled, very much enabled by the mummy wine culture that lots of us witness.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I'm and I am definitely one um, to subscribe to that culture. I think mm. at, at times. Um, you know it, it was I put that poll out just getting a sense of how people perceive their relationship to be with alcohol mm-hmm. and actually the results did surprise me because um the majority of people I think it was about around 60% maybe just under said that they felt they had a really good and healthy relationship mm-hmm. with alcohol and that's great to hear yeah um, I would put myself in that middle area probably which was a bit more of the uh good good days and bad days you know a mixed experience because Mm. um you know I I do enjoy drinking I enjoy the taste of a glass Mm. of wine at the end of a day when my kids have been doing my head in and I find it sort of relaxing um but I know that there are other times when probably it doesn't serve me at all and actually Mm. I'll go and drink and you know, it will have a completely detrimental effect around what I really want to achieve. So, get, so striking that balance, I think, particularly yeah. in parenthood, it, it can be really hard between using it um, for pleasure and using it as a as a crutch. Or does that
1: yeah. sort of resonate that? Oh, way? everything you say resonates. Yeah, yeah. You've explained it really, really well because um, I think that balance for me was the eternal struggle, because it felt like I was always thinking about how I could make my drinking healthy, in inverted and um, because there would be times where I would have one glass of wine, and then I would leave it, and I would congratulate myself <laughs> for just having the one glass and using it to relax. I use that term, use, um, rather than drink, quite purposefully now um because it was a usage I was using the alcohol and um, for reasons much like most people are actually it, it is for a use um and yeah striking that balance was such a struggle and it would take up a lot of my thinking time and the problem is I never knew which way it was going to go was I going to have an evening where I just stuck to one and I, I, again, I acknowledge that I'm, I'm very fortunate that sometimes I could just stick to one. I know for some people that's not possible at all. And that's really, really hard. And um, I also realized that there were times where I, it, I let it control me and I would drink way too much and I would feel dreadful, absolutely dreadful. And the real... Um, I think one of the turning points for me, there were many, many realizations along my sort of sober journey because my sober journey lasted years and years. I had many day ones, many years of being curious about it before I went right now's the time. Um, and I think one of the things I realized was that this is going to sound a little bit, <laughs> I don't know how this will go across, but I realized I just didn't like myself when I drank. I had a couple of moments where I almost saw myself and how I was reacting to the alcohol and the change in my personality and the way that I was dealing with things. And I just thought, I don't want to be that person. And I was maybe being a bit hard on myself, but um, who wants to feel like that? Who wants to feel that they don't like themselves so I remember that being a big turning point for me mm-hmm. when I first stopped, and I used that a lot as one of my big reasons not to reach for a glass of wine because I remembered thinking, "Oh, I didn't like myself in that moment,
0: yeah, and that is such a powerful thought you know to to be able to sort of take that step back and acknowledge that you feel that way and also to be able to pinpoint what the what the catalyst is to yeah. make you feel that way it's like that That thing, that drink or that episode of drinking, that actually transformed my perception of myself, my mm-hmm. experience of myself um and I'm assuming that it's also not just about the impact that it made it had on you and how you felt about mm-hmm. yourself was there what, what was the kind of ripple effect of that
1: well, and beyond that. With that particular instance, there wasn't much of a ripple effect with what happened in that in, in that, in that night. Um, in fact, I it's really funny because that's the last night I really went out and went for it with the cocktails. Uh, it was a friend's 40th. And actually, it was a really good night. It's really interesting for me that that was the last time that I had a big night out with alcohol. And I, I did enjoy it. So it's not, like I said, I didn't have a rock-bottom moment that made me go... That's it. Never again. But it was a slow build up. And I see it a lot. I see it a lot with people that I talk to. So I talk to people who want to stop drinking every day. And there always seems to be a sort of preamble to the day one. Um, and I, that was part of the preamble for me. Another moment, um, which going back to motherhood, um, was when I was about to take my children to Euro Disney. And I'll never forget it. We were sitting around the dinner table and we were saying, oh, what would you like? What's your most exciting thing that you want to do? What what are you most looking forward to about going to Euro Disney? And they all went around the table. We were very young at the time. My daughter was still three, I believe. Um, And they all said their thing. And then my eldest, who had, he's very direct, and he'd had a lesson, I think, at school on drugs and alcohol. And he said to me, I know what you're most looking forward to, wine. And when you go out in the evening, it's going to be wine. And when you come back, it's going to be wine. And he kept repeating this word, wine. And, of course, I was sitting there at the dinner table with a glass of wine, as he was telling me, this, And I felt dreadful, absolutely dreadful, because I remember thinking, that's what my son thinks about my habits that's his overriding thoughts about what his mum does either to de-stress or for pleasure or for fun or for confidence whatever the reason is he's remembering me with a glass of wine in my hands and that was such a turning point for me mm-hmm. and we went to disney i did have some wine but i made sure i didn't drink too much and it was about a week or two after that that i stopped so there's all these little bits along the journey
0: it's 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 such a powerful story and 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 that reminder that our kids do notice this stuff right and 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 but they notice all sorts of things they notice they you know and and this isn't about laying on guilt or making a no because we're all imperfect and we all have our weaknesses or our flaws or our things that yes. we could work harder on but it is about recognizing when there are certain things that we may be modeling for our kids or that our kids might be noticing that we don't realize that we do also have the power to change that I love that Yeah, we don't if we don't feel good about yeah that. you know it doesn't yeah. there
1: is another way right exactly exactly I, I I don't believe in the word perfect or perfection um I'm a big fan of uh, child psychologist's Winnicott saying, you know, being good enough. It's not about being perfect. Um, I've clung on to that phrase about my uh, experience of parenthood because I realise we all make loads of mistakes, and it's the way that we handle them and deal with them that is the most important thing. It's mm-hmm. not about not making mistakes. It's about acknowledging. And and I'm not suggesting my whole drinking career was a mistake, but I do. Have thoughts about the way that I have behaved and modelled things about in front of my children when they were younger that I'm now really glad that I don't do anymore, mm-hmm. um, and I don't think my daughter, who was three when I stopped, can even remember me drinking, which is great. And I haven't asked my other two, um, but they are so um, exposed to the sobriety world that I'm involved with now, and we talk about that a lot now that I think there's enough of the narrative going on that they have all the information. And I'm not not naive enough to think that they won't drink. My eldest is going to be 14 next year. I was, when I was 14, my goodness, my drinking habits had already started. Um, And we have very, very frank conversations about it. And one of the things that I say to them is... I, I don't know if this is the right or wrong wrong way to handle it, but I say to them, you probably will drink. You probably will try it. I don't want them to think that there's this sort of absolute no, you can't prohibition, you can't, you absolutely can't. I want them to make their own decisions but what is important is that they are really well-informed decisions and they understand mm-hmm. my reasoning for stopping and my reasoning for um, helping other people with it as well. And, and, and having, again, like you say, that balance example and and view on it and I love that because in a way
0: it extends the kind of do your thing principle yeah yeah for your kids as well you know you're, you're saying well actually this is how I've chosen now to live my life to parent my kids to show up in life like you're kind of going against the grain, perhaps, or as you said, you're kind of, you know, it's a bit counterculture in many ways, (laughs) Um, but you're choosing to do your own thing. And what you've also done by the sounds of it is said to your kids, you know, I'm not going to tell you what to do or not to do. I'm going to give you all the information Mm -hmm. and let you do your thing when the time comes. Um, And I love, and I love, and I love that. I love that despite the experience that you've had, you know, a very profound experience that you can still kind of leave that door open and allow them to make their own choices.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, one of the fundamental things, as you know, as a coach, but also as a, just being a nice person, hopefully, is that you don't extend that judgment onto other people. And one of the things that I always say when I'm talking to people about alcohol is that I am the last person to judge your habits because I've been there and I know how it felt and I was the one who was judging the non-drinkers when Mm. I was in my 20s and my early 30s um, and probably my teens as well and so that sort of Keep coming away from the shaming and the judging I think is so, so, so important um, because then it does empower people to be open about their experiences and if they want to make changes, then you can work with that and then they feel comfort- comfortable and confident talking to you. I, many of my friends drink and I don't judge them at all, at all. <laughs> I understand their reasons. I understand that I'm different to them and and, and I understand that I've been on my own journey doing it. Mm. Um, so it's it's a very different kind of relationship with your own children. I, I, I fully accept that. But you can't control what they're going to do. You can't say you won't do this, you won't do that. And as I now have a teen, I'm very, very aware of that. <laughs> he will do what he wants to do. And it's likely to be something that I have to just bite my tongue with and have a little moment about and um, and and guiding through it as yes. best I can. <laughs> and that's and that's parenthood, like
0: that's, that's parenthood I and mean, that's parenthood, <laughs> right? Um, but I was just thinking as you were saying that, you know, about you being a- around other people who do drink, for example, yes. and you not judging them and you not, you know, and not being about preaching to mm-hmm. other people about what they should or shouldn't do. It being mm-hmm. about your choice. But I suppose what came to when you were talking was also. And I, and I, you know, I've watched all your stories and I see talk about all sorts of things and, you know, and, and I wanted to make sure that we also talk about all the great things about being sober. And I yeah. want to make sure that we talk about that today. But I suppose, first of all, like, it's not, I imagine it's not an easy choice to make at times that there no. are some, you know, that you are are challenged by this quite regularly, this decision that you've made.
1: I used to be. I used to be. Uh, Yeah, I've been sober for four and a half years now. And I would say the first year and a half, um, it held a mirror up to other people who drank, some other people. Um, And I know, again, this isn't a judgment, because I know, because I used to be that person. If someone was out and they weren't drinking, and I wanted to get drunk, I would be almost offended that they wouldn't drink with me. It was that powerful an emotion. I used to think, why wouldn't you do that? I'd think they were boring. I would I would genuinely try to stay away from them on a night out. I can't believe I used to be like this, by the way, but I did. And I'm not going to shame my past self, but I was actually like this. And I was met with comments. Um, but I think what happens is because my sober curious part of my journey was so long and I'd done so much work on analyzing drinking as a culture, as a form of um, self-medicating, which is what I did end up doing in my 30s. I was, I, I was self-medicating for quite extreme anxiety. Um, and as soon as you get down to the nitty gritty and you analyze what your reasons were for drinking and whether that was actually helping you, and um, you have such a strength in your resolve and you become quite evangelical about it that hopefully if you are met with these opinions from other people, you've got enough strength to sort of just take a deep breath and not react. Because that, that's after all what we're doing with craving. If you crave something and you have it, you're reacting. You're not responding in a thoughtful way. You're reacting in an emotional way. So I'd had lots of practice of not reacting to my craving, but responding to it in a thoughtful way. So I did the same with people who made comments to me. I've never gotten in an argument with someone about it (laughs) and gone, for God's sake, I might have felt it on occasions. Um, But again, I didn't react emotionally. I just responded thoughtfully. Um, And actually, after a while, it becomes part of your identity. I mean, you've mentioned my Instagram story, so you know it's my favorite topic to talk about. And so it is um very much uh something that people accept about me now. So, but if you meet new people, um I quite enjoy seeing their reaction <laughs> <now> <laughs> because I've got so much stuff that I can say in an assertive yet polite way back to them that I'll i almost relish the discussion actually um not that I've had a you know really awful reactions I don't mean it like that but it's quite interesting (laughs) (laughs) and and
0: actually that's such a shift to go from being in that place where you were like alcohol made me not like myself Mm. to now actually being able to say I not drinking alcohol form part of my identity. Yeah. It's something that makes me feel like me that I feel that's like I've really got something really interesting to bring to this conversation and and actually that's quite a nice shift as well in the way that it sounds like it's
1: impacted yeah. your sense of self. Oh uh, that's the biggest thing that's the biggest thing about not drinking alcohol for me is this sort of without sounding really cheesy but the kind of personal journey that you go on because I mean I was having discussions uh, about this on a sober walk that I did a couple of weeks ago with an amazing group of people and um, I was talking about the kind of phases of sobriety that you go through Um, so initially it is the nuts and bolts it's the triggers it's responding rather than reacting to the cravings it's a lot of day-to-day work um it's a lot about finding your support system it's a lot about what kind of self-care practices can you put in in order to make yourself feel good without the need for alcohol There's lots of nitty-gritty stuff that goes in in that first phase and I suppose if you're approached by someone in that phase um who want to have a bit of a dig you're more likely when you're at that stage to sort of give in and um, you might not but that that's a, it's kind of the fundamental bit and it depends like I say how long you've been sober curious before and how much of that work you've done actually before your day one Um, but after that there are all these new phases that are really really interesting that come about and um, I would say from about six months in suddenly you start really evaluating your life in its wider sense mm-hmm. and you start looking at things um, very, very differently, like your interests, your, um, even things like you might analyze your sort of political or spiritual compass. Um, you might start thinking about what your interests are away from the alcohol and how you can have that fun and joy without needing to put something in your body to do that. Um, after that, you know, there might come an analytical time where you start really thinking about your reasons for first drinking um which I've been through quite heavily that can be quite a heavy phase because you're sort of really being honest with yourself about why you started drinking for me it's all down to sort of anxiety social anxiety connection with people that kind of thing um, and what might have led you to feel like you need that extra support with that Mm -hmm. um but it is just such a great sort of Journey, I keep using that word journey. I know some, some people don't like it. <laughs> um, it. There's so many phases that you go through that it's really, really fascinating. And most people go through a phase of thinking, I want to give back. I want to help other people with this because it is potentially lonely. Because if you don't have the support of those around you, you can feel like you say, you know, you're, you're going against the grain. So you feel mm-hmm. a little bit weird and a little bit like, Am I doing the wrong thing here? So mm-hmm getting a sort of community around you that is going to support you is fundamental as well.
0: Like hear the process that you've been through, because I suppose it's not something that you can just like switch on and be like, you know, I'm just not going to drink anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. actually it's, it's, it is a process. It's a process of, you know, probably falling off Wagon a few times, and, yeah, yeah. You know, putting yourselves in really uncomfortable situations that you realise you don't want to do again, and putting boundaries yeah. to protect yourself and realise boundaries.
1: I'm so glad you mentioned boundaries. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> yeah, I could <can laughs> that's boundaries work when you're changing a habit like that, which is so socially kind of um part of the norm. Is uh is something that I've noticed grow and grow with me um I was never I was was such a people pleaser um I never wanted to say no to anything and if I did it would give me such anxiety Mm -hmm. um whereas now I, I I love putting my boundaries in place and I've had I've had good practice now at putting in place uh, my boundaries, without feeling like I'm being rude. I think I always felt like if I said no to people, it would be rude. But actually, you can say no in very, very polite ways, explaining yourself, and still make other people feel good and understand you. And um, that is a, that is still people pleasing, isn't it? Though <laughs> making people feel good, you know what I mean. <laughs> still working on it, obviously. Work um, in
0: progress. But, I mean,
1: it's a working like... progress. <laughs> but the um. Yeah, the the whole boundaries thing is really important because it is it is about saying to people, no, I'm not going to do that or I'm not going to go to that place. That event's going to trigger me. That person is going to trigger me. That bit of weather is going to trigger me. So I'm not going to come out at this point mm-hmm. because I know I'm going to want to reach for the Prosecco or the beer. And um, those sorts of boundaries are really important. But, one, but it's really interesting because like I said about the react and respond, You've, you exercise that muscle, that being able to set boundaries muscle in your brain, which then feeds into other aspects of your life. So you're actually, I mean, to quote my mentor, Kate Bailey from the Lost Sober Team, she says that giving up alcohol can actually be the ultimate act of self-care. And what is part of self-care? It's about putting boundaries in place so that you're caring for yourself. Um, and that, again, it's something that's had to be worked on but uh, that it's wonderful. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love, I love that so much. And, and, you know, something, this choice that you have made, you know, it's like being mindful about what you eat. It's about being mindful of, you know, moving your body or how you take care of yourself in all sorts of other ways. Mm. Um, and it and it makes so much sense. You know, these are this this. It's another form of self care, and I love yeah. that reframe. And I think it's a really um, comfort. There's comfort in that mm-hmm. to see it not as almost deny denying yourself.
1: Yes, right. But it's That's more exactly like taking it. care of yourself. Yeah, and the, and it's it's not to say there won't be times where you feel like you're, de- where you know there. There was too many negatives there, so I've confused myself. You will sometimes find that you feel like you're denying yourself something. Um, But again, it's exercising that muscle of knowing what is going to help you through that craving. I'm four and a half years in. I went to Italy a couple of weeks ago, and yes, I got triggered. I will hold my hand up and say, yes, I had a bowl of pasta in front of me. Because I haven't been to Italy since I was... Uh, drinking and it was all about eating all the pasta and drinking all the wine when I last went so I sat there with a bowl of pasta in front of me I looked at the wine on somebody else's table I was never going to order any but there was that moment where that neural pathway that's very very strong had had decades in training said to me that would go really well with that pasta and I had to shut it down but I've had years of practice of shutting that down. So it was absolutely fine. Let my techniques are at my fingertips. And um, they, they certainly weren't at the beginning of my journey. But yeah. they are now. So I will hold my hands up and say, yes, you will still get triggered. And there will still be moments where you feel like you are denying yourself something. But the vast majority of the time now, I'm, I, I don't feel like I'm denying myself something at all. Yes. <laughs> I'm back <laughs> <that for> myself. <laughs>
0: And I've just seen Sue's question, which which ties in quite nicely with this. Just a quick, which is a fun yes. question to ask. She said, I'd love to know what your drink of choice is when you're out socialising and other people are
1: drinking. Oh, that's an interesting one. Um Oh, I've got many. So I do love alcohol-free wine and beer. There are some people that get triggered by that and just avoid it. For me, it's actually really, really helpful. And um, so there are, um, I like Iceberg, alcohol-free red wine. I like Bex Blue. I like, I never know how to say this, net Is that how you say it? is. Anyway, it's really, I just said it from Tesco. It's really, really <laughs> yummy. But if a bar doesn't have that, I'm going to be honest and say I love a cup of tea, I do drink (laughs) coffee, and I just like a full-fat Coke. So, (laughs) again, I'm not denying myself stuff. Um, But I generally don't go out and drink those sorts of drinks when other people are drinking. What am I trying to say here? I generally don't go out when people are getting drunk, actually. Um, I experience it at things like weddings and that's always quite an eye opener because for me, uh, the previous me, a wedding would have been a green light for getting absolutely obliterated. Um, it's what you do, right? You get absolutely hammered at a wedding. You make a fool out of yourself, and I did many times. Um, but now, when I go to weddings, I have such a lovely time. Actually, I'm not. I'm. I, I'm not going to lie. I have a lovely, lovely time, and I'm not triggered at all at weddings. And when you see people getting. Quite hammered towards the end. There can be a smug moment where I think I'm going to feel fresher than you in the morning. (laughs) Um, But again, it's about those boundaries, isn't it? A lot of my socializing now happens um, during the day, um, and I don't tend to go out much in the evenings. And a lot of people think, oh, that's such a shame. Such a shame your social life has changed so much. But I don't see it as a shame at all I've got three kids I've got to be up really really early in the morning I'm really really protective and boundaried over my sleep I'm finding downtime in the evening so I don't actually want to spoil that
0: this is a really good question and if we can if I think other people might be curious about this yeah so the question from Sue does your husband drink and how do you handle that if he does
1: Um, My husband no longer drinks, but I was sober for a year before he decided to go sober himself. So I've had that experience of a year where I wasn't drinking and he was. Um, And it's a really interesting question. And it's something that comes up an awful lot with people. Um, The way I handled it was in different ways. (laughs) I... um, I talked and talked and talked about it with him about my own experience of, of not drinking, actually, until he was sick of it. And my husband is absolutely lovely, but he did say to me one day, I'm Not sure I can hear this every day. Maybe we don't need to stop, but <laughs> it in a very delicate <laughs> way. And so I stopped talking to him about it. And I understood, I mean, it's a lot, isn't it? And, but again, I think he would probably admit now that. I was my not drinking was holding up a mirror to his drinking. And I think um, what happened after that was I just sat back quietly and I did keep not drinking and modelled that kind of lifestyle. And like I said, a year later, he decided that's it. I'm not going to do it anymore either so I think the act of me not doing it did sort of it, it planted the seeds but I certainly didn't sit down and say look if I'm not drinking you I'm not drinking either <laughs> um but having said all of that I make that sound really easy and maybe like amusing but actually I'm totally aware that there will be people who are massively triggered by having a partner in the house who is drinking so again it's that boundaries thing it's that thing of sitting down and saying what what how are we going to make this work because you can't control somebody else and hopefully you wouldn't want to um but it's about sort of saying look it it, it this is where coaching is so powerful because it has to come from the person so are you comfortable with having booze in the house if you're not then hopefully a partner would respect that and maybe drink elsewhere are you comfortable with having booze in the same room as you perhaps if they're drinking there and you're drinking here then that's fine um perhaps you don't want to go near them when they're drinking because people smell of booze when they when they've drunk a bit and so it's about sort of saying it is i would just recommend being really really open and saying what you feel comfortable with, um, and having an open conversation about alcohol and your reasons for stopping, because you never know it might inspire them to cut down or, or, or do the same. Yeah,
0: I'm conscious of the time, and I still have two more things that I really want to okay. talk about. Yes. So I'm going to be really like quick fire about this because i want okay. To I was this. trying to limit yeah. in a limited way. <laughs> I want to know what the best things are about being okay. sober which you've got right. kind of just started talking really? already then <laughs> about you know what you were just talking about then but like what yeah. would you say are like your top three ish uh right. oh, um, oh okay. Um, okay i was
1: talking really quick yes. My sleep <laughs> Tell me what's is great about me. Well, okay. Sleep. sleep, sleep, sleep is the most amazing thing ever. My sleep was crap before, and now it's amazing on the whole. Really, 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 really good. Um, my skin is better. My eyes are brighter. Um, I've lost bloat. I'm not going to say lost weight. Um, but my, I definitely there's been a sort of release of uh bloat in my body, shall we say? And um, I feel like there's greater connection with people. Um, I'm more present for my kids. I also feel like I can laugh in the most pure way than I ever have done when I've been drunk. When I get the giggles now, it's the best giggles ever. It's like the giggles I used to have when I was a child. And it's not the same when you're drunk. It's just pure unadulterated, unadulterated joy. Don't
0: go. <laughs> that last one is so great that's I, my I favorite one I left it till last <laughs> yeah I, I love that so much um and you, and you and you remember it as well yeah 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it's so that, like oh god what were you
1: so <laughs> new, or, was that even <laughs> yeah it's <Okay>. actually funny <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: that was a brilliant that's one
1: amazing
0: <laughs> No, and I and 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 it's so great and 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 hearing all of that, those benefits, and of course, those benefits will look different to different people. I imagine, you know, yeah. what they're looking to get out of it will look really different. But being able to so easily say, Do you know, something, there is so much going for this choice that I so have made for myself and my life. Yeah, you know, and to add to that, what we were talking about earlier, just how you feel about yourself in yourself, like mm-hmm. your boosted self-esteem you know yes. I imagine that just runs through that runs through it all as a kind of common thread
1: I'm a much more confident person than I used to be and I'm really happy about that my
0: last final question for you and it's a question that I ask everybody that I've been speaking to so far um I I am as a coach I'm sure this this resonates with you as well like I'm a big believer on people taking a step-by-step process uh mm. to growth rather than rushing to the finish line yeah. rather than feeling that they're like I want that and I want it now and I need oh it. yeah and actually needing to really go through that step by step process it's the journey
1: that it's you've the been journey and it's where like, things
0: stick as well and it, and it is exactly so I would love to know from your perspective like what would your first recommended step be to somebody somebody who might be sober curious somebody who might just have this feeling that alcohol is not the one for them um or maybe they're stuck in one of those cycles where they just keep on drinking and feeling shit about it afterwards mm-hmm. what would you say is the first step forward um, for
1: people to
0: take if they want to explore sobriety for themselves in their
1: lives? I've got a practical step and an emotional one. So practical one is immerse yourself in the sober world. Read the books, listen to the podcasts, get on sober pages on Instagram and sort of feed yourself with it so that you are sort of retraining your mindset around the whole topic because that will open up so many things about kind of analyzing your triggers and give you loads and loads of sort of techniques to help you with cravings etc the emotional one because it's very it's a very emotional one for me is finding your why and that's something that coaches talk about a lot and um, now my why um was very fluffy for a long time and I think that's why it didn't stick I thought I had this vague notion of like health yeah I want to make my health better um but actually the why needs to be delved into quite deeply and it needs to feel really strong it needs to be visceral you need to have it at the forefront of your mind and that's why my son making that comment about my drinking was a real moment for me because that became their reaction to my drinking became my why um and it so it needs to be so powerful that when you're in that moment of craving if you can somehow bring that why to the forefront of your mind it won't if it's strong enough it should stop you picking up that glass and if you manage it that day you might be able to manage it the next day. If you don't manage it the next day, that's okay because you've done it for two days or you've done it for one day. That's all part of the learning. You're not undoing it completely. So finding your why, again, is fundamental because if you don't have a strong enough reason, then it's going to be very, very difficult to make all those steps to avoid your triggers or reduce your cravings. But if your reason is really, really powerful, that is the sort of the foundations. That's the, the, the thing that you can build on top of. What's the best place for people to um, connect with you from off the back
0: of this conversation?
1: Yeah, so here uh, on Instagram is a really good place to get in touch with me. I also do a lot of work on an app called Dry, which is spelled D R Y Y, which alludes to two Ys, which is spoken about on the app. Um, I'm one of their admins and life members, so I do a lot of work supporting people on there, and people have reached out to me via there as well. Thank you, thank so you
0: so much <laughs> for this conversation. Oh, it's been bad. It's been like I've just
1: scratched the surface. but Exactly. Such a big topic. But thank you so much. Thank you for sharing
0: as well your story so kind of openly and honestly, because, you know, it's, I know that you love to talk about this, but it's also, you know, it's personal stuff Mm -hmm. that you've been through. So I really appreciate you sharing with so honesty and vulnerability. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Do Your Thing. If you enjoyed what you heard, it would mean the absolute world if you could take a moment or two to do one or all of the following small things, which could make a mega difference to the success of this podcast. Follow and subscribe to Do Your Thing, which means you'll never miss an episode. Rate or review the podcast or share the podcast with a friend who you think would enjoy listening to. And if you'd like to continue the conversation or explore working with me on a deeper level, you can connect with me on Instagram or Facebook at The Parenthood Coach, or join my email community, The Parenthood Retreat. Just go to theparenthoodcoach.co.uk forward slash newsletter. And remember there's no right or wrong way to do life or parenthood. There's only your way. So get out there and do your thing unapologetically. See you next time.